0: Welcome to the Life of Learning podcast, I'm Justus Frank. And the other day I was thinking about my business and wondering what is underlying fear behind people not taking an unschooling approach to learning. And one of my answers that I wrote down was that people are afraid to take responsibility for their child's education. After all, if the school is responsible for the child's education, then it is also to blame if your child doesn't do so well. And so that was my initial thought a few days ago, and then yesterday I listened to a podcast um, called The Voluntary Life, it's vol- and I'll put the links um, in, the, in the show notes as well, and I was listening to a particular episode, uh, episode 30, uh, called The Fear of Freedom, um, and Jake DeSillis and a few of his guests were discussing a book called The Fear of Freedom by Eric Fromm who uh, I believe who wrote this book back in the 1940s. So it's quite an old, old book. Um, But yeah, they were discussing this book and discussing why people have a fear of freedom. And I think we do. Um, And people seem to fear freedom because they fear responsibility, particularly taking responsibility for your own life. And that's Taking responsibility for your own life and your actions is a huge psychological barrier and emotionally overwhelming for many of us. And this is because of the lessons that we learnt in our childhood. We uh, were very much pressured to stay in a dependent state and look to authority figures to tell us what to do. Um, And eventually we even crave those authoritarian orders um, so much. Um, and because we do so because we want to avoid responsibility Um, that's kind of one of the worst things that seems to be that a human being can have is to be responsible for something after all if we are simply doing what we're told um, then we aren't to blame it wasn't our fault Um, all these sorts of things come into play Uh, we feel that we can if we are not to blame uh, yeah, and we are not responsible then, you know Hey, it wasn't our fault this desire works its way into all parts of our lives and The more you start thinking about this the more you start seeing it in your life And it occurs in family and it occurs in business and one of the most blatant forms of it is also in government the whole system of government is predicated on avoiding responsibility Uh, particularly when we think of uh, things like democracy it allows people to remove themselves by a few steps from taking blames uh, for for the actions and um, and this can be seen in things like you know we fool ourselves into thinking that because we don't hold the gun that therefore we can't be to blame and this is a bit like a German in the 1930s, uh, voting for the National Socialist German Workers Party, the Nazi Party, yet refusing to take any blame for the murder of the Jewish family next door uh, by the SS. And it's like, yes, okay, you didn't, you weren't the one who pulled the gun, but that doesn't mean you weren't, you didn't have any responsibility actually for that. But we think because we're a few steps removed, that therefore, hey, you can't point at us, and you can't, make us to blame and one person who and particularly has shown this quite powerfully um, is is Ayn Rand and her book um, Atlas Shrugged fantastic book um, but yeah she shows this powerfully uh, in her book and the theme comes up repeatedly throughout the whole book and showing that in fact even though you are a few steps removed you actually still hold some responsibility even though we try to avoid thinking about that. And, exactly, we crave not to think and not to act. And so I'm just going to read a couple of um, excerpts from um, Atlas Shrugged. Um, this first one, I was reading it, again, uh, with my with my girlfriend the other day. And we came across this, this is in the first chapter of the book. And uh, one of the main characters, uh, Dagny, who helps run a railway, and her brother, James, um, who is the head of the railway, they're having a discussion about getting new rail, and, um, and Dagny basically, um, says that, well, the railway's falling apart, and she's decided to order rail from Red and Steel, and James Taggart, throughout uh, the book, um, he's constantly one of these people, who fears being responsible for anything Um, and so this is part of the conversation uh where james starts uh, where james says well i need time to consider it to place the matter before the board to consult the best there is no time you haven't given me a chance to form my an opinion Dagney replies i don't give a damn about your opinion i'm not going to argue with you with your board or with your professors you have a choice to make, and you're going to make it now. Just say yes or no. That's a preposterous, high-handed, arbitrary way of yes or no. That's the trouble with you? You always make it yes or no. Things are never absolute like that. Nothing is absolute. Metal rails are. Whether we get them or not is. She waited, and he did not answer. Well, she asked are you taking the responsibility for it i am go ahead he said and added but at your own risk i won't cancel it but i won't commit myself as to what i'll say to the board say anything you wish she rose to go so that's just at the start of the book and then one of the most powerful parts comes a wee bit later um this is as a train is going into a tunnel um and as disaster is about to before this train and as ayn rand has worked in all the steps that led up to the disaster happening all the all the times where people avoided responsibility pushed that responsibility to someone else to someone else to someone else until eventually this disaster occurred and um As the train goes towards the tunnel, um, Ayn Rand writes this. It is said that catastrophes are a matter of pure chance, and there were those who would have said that the passengers of the comet were not guilty or responsible for the thing that happened to them. The man in bedroom A, car number one, was a professor of sociology who taught that individual ability is of no consequence, that individual effort is futile, that an individual conscience is a useless luxury, that there is no individual mind, or character, or achievement, that everything is achieved collectively, and that it's masses that count, not men. The man in Rimet 7, car number 2, was a journalist who wrote that it is proper and moral to use compulsion, for a good cause, who believed that he had the right to unleash physical force upon others, to wreck lives, throttle ambitions, strangle desires, violate convictions, to imprison, to despoil, to murder, for the sake of whatever he chose to consider as his own idea of a good cause. Which did not even have to be an idea, since he had never defined what he regarded as the good, but had merely stated that he went by a feeling, a feeling unrestrained by any knowledge, since he considered emotions superior to knowledge, and relied solely on his own good intentions and on the power of a gun. The Woman in Roumette ten, car number three, Was an elderly school teacher who had spent her life turning class after class of helpless children into miserable cowards by teaching them that the will of the majority is the only standard of good and evil that a majority may do anything it pleases that they must not assert their own personalities but must do as others were doing the man in drawing room b car number four was a newspaper publisher who believed that men are evil by nature and unfit for freedom that their basic interests, if left unchecked, are to lie, to rob, and to murder one another, and therefore men must be ruled by means of lies, robbery, and murder, which must be made the exclusive privilege of the rulers, for the purpose of forcing men to work, teaching them to be moral, and keeping them within the bounds of order and justice. The man in seat 5, car number 7, was a worker who believed that he had a right to a job, whether his employer wanted him or not. The woman in Rimet 6 car number 8 was a lecturer who believed that as a consumer she had a right to transportation, whether the railroad people wished to provide it or not. The man in Rimet 2 car number 9 was a professor of economics who advocated the abolition of private property, explaining that intelligence plays no part in in industrial production, that man's mind is conditioned by, by material tools, that anybody can run a factory or a railroad and it's only a matter of seizing the machinery. The woman in bedroom D car number 10 was a mother who had put her two children to sleep in the berth above her, carefully tucking them in, protecting them from draughts and jolts. A mother whose husband held a government job enforcing directives, which she defended by saying, I don't care, it's only the rich that they hurt. After all, I must think of my children. The woman in room 9 car number 12 was a housewife who believed that she had the right to elect politicians of whom she knew nothing to control giant industries of which she had no knowledge. The man in bedroom A car number 16 was a human humanitarian who had said, the men of ability? I do not care what or if they are made to suffer. They must be penalized in order to support the incompetent. Frankly, I do not care whether this is just or not. I take pride in not caring to grant any justice to the able, where mercy to the needy is concerned. These passengers were awake. There was not a man aboard the train who did not share one or more of their ideas. As the train went into the tunnel, the flame of Wyatt's torch was the last thing they saw on earth. So yeah, that's one of the... Sorry if I'm a little bit of a spoiler, but that's... Um, One of the highlights of the book and Just goes to show that You know that that the actions that we do take um, Do have their consequences no matter how and that we do share some responsibility No matter how far down the road or how removed they we try and make them be Uh, we can put other people um, in between us and the direct responsibility for something but it's how we live our everyday lives that matters at the end of the day and so we get so used to dealing with each other uh, where one person needs to be the authority and one person needs to be the victim and so we approach so many relationships this way And we are sometimes happy to be the authority figure, to be the domineering one, uh, because as long as we have some sort of backdoor of escape, as long as we have still some way, somebody else who can be the scapegoat, or something else that can be the scapegoat, um, we relate to to each other in terms of um, being dominant or being a victim. And so we are taught to avoid responsibility at all costs and from the psychological state uh, we then seek to escape by trying to live in a fantasy Um, these can come in the forms of sadism masochism authoritarianism and um, again this is more discussed in in neil Fromm's book um, and yeah and this is kind of what they discuss on the podcast as well political leaders hook into our desire to avoid responsibility and bribe us with a fantasy release. And this can come in the form of fascism, fascism, communism, and other authoritarian systems. We basically end up fleeing to conformity. And for me personally, in the past, uh, much of my fear of responsibility um, came out of my desire to conform to the authority of religion. So there's all sorts of ways in in which we seek to conform and to avoid responsibility and so i believe the sphere of freedom the sphere of responsibility is what drives much of what we see with parents hesitancy to um, home educate or to unschool if you give your children to a school it becomes the school's responsibility that the child learns and if the child struggles then often the school will hand over Responsibility to the child and will blame the child. And this is despite the fact that the child was the actual victim and that it never chose to be in this situation, nor did it choose the things he or she was supposed to learn. And I've seen this to be the case, particularly in private schools as well. Parents pay thousands of dollars, and then at parent teacher time, when a child hasn't learned what the system expects of them, parents ask the teacher. I paid well to send them to the school what are you going to do about it and the thing is that learning something comes after motivation and where there is no motivation for a certain thing learning is a struggle one eye-opening conversation occurred at my last school when i was talking to the deputy principal and i was telling him that there were some kids who were just not interested in the sports we are doing in our physical education class He replied that it was my job to create that motivation. I found that very fascinating. He was saying that my success as a teacher depended on how good I was at changing the internal state of another human being. And so often we shift around responsibility for things that we have no business that have no business being shifted around. The responsibility of someone's motivation should not be shifted to another person. The thing is that children do eventually catch on that adults believe that motivation is is the responsibility of the teacher. And I've seen it in children as they come to class, they sit down, they look at me as if to say, Alright, I'm here. See if you can motivate me. Is it any wonder that then teachers resort to rewards and punishments? Anything to feel like they have succeeded in motivating the child, even if that means using short-term manipulative techniques. Looking back, I can certainly see this in myself as a teacher. So parents send their children to school because they do not want to be trying to create motivation in their children more than they have to. They do not want the responsibility of that. They already have enough trouble, as it is, trying to motivate their children to eat vegetables, brush their teeth and go to bed on time. Adding reading, writing and mathematics to the list just seems too daunting. So we have two fears really going on. The fear of responsibility for those things you are actually responsible for. And then there is the fear of perceived responsibility for those things that you actually have no business being responsible for. So when it comes to parenting and home education, there are things you can be responsible for. Providing a nurturing and loving home that takes care of a child's needs and their dependent state provide a home free of coercion force and violence and to become an interesting person and a curious person to gain self-knowledge if you do those things you will motivate your child to learn do not try and force the motivation to happen focus on yourself focus on living out your values and taking full responsibility for yourself and if we do this we will encourage others to do likewise We will not be responsible for another's motivation but we may become a source of inspiration for them so to finish off you know we wonder why anyone would ever be afraid of freedom and yet you know this is what we are taught to do we are taught to fear it our natural state is to be free but we grow to fear it if we are ever to embrace freedom we must first embrace responsibility And once we embrace responsibility for ourselves we become open to engaging with others in a voluntary way free of coercion and so we finally become free thanks so much for listening or watching um, and i hope to see you again next time thanks bye